and welcome to another Manchester United podcast. I'm delighted to be joined by uh, Helen Evans, who is mouthing voice memo to David May, who's also with us. How are you doing, guys? Sure. Yeah, really good. I don't know what she was doing. I was reminding you to put your voice memos on. Sorry, Maisie. Hey, I'm a professional now. Sorry, 50, sorry, 50, sorry. 55 shows, Bells. Come on, get with it. <laughs> uh, but everybody good? All good. All good in the Evans household. Thank you. Excellent. Uh, this is, uh, Helen, as you pointed out before we started, the first time we've had a goalkeeper on and all three of us have been here. Yeah. We've struggled with goalkeepers. Delighted that we are all here. For the legend that is Alex Stepney. Great guy. Legend. Absolute legend. So he works He works at Old Trafford and does hospitality and stuff now, doesn't he? How well do you two know him? Well, I used to know him quite a lot from being on MUTV and then you always see him around Old Trafford, as you said, on match days. He's always done home games. He would always pop in and out of the boxes. Never passes you without a nice little conversation. Great guy. Yes, exactly the same. Yeah, see him in, in and around the stadium. Obviously, Alex does the, the lounges and stuff. But it's always great to see him. He always has that big smile on his face. He does. And he's always giving you... And his chuckle. Yeah. And he always <laughs> he always tends to break your hands when he's giving you a handshake because they are like <laughs> shovels. They're huge, his hands. This is, yeah, this is, good, this is good. This is a Zoom one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose one thing that will be really interesting with him is is he won the European Cup in 68, but obviously joined the club after the Munich disaster. So I wonder what that was like for him to have mm-hmm. that experience. Because we think of the Munich disaster, we think of people like Bobby Charlton and Samat who, who went through and then went on to win the trophy 10 years mm-hmm. later. Mm-hmm. Must have been very nerve-wracking for him coming to Old Trafford in the aftermath of all that as well. Yeah, some pressure as well. Some pressure. Coming in, most expensive goalkeeper, walking into a dressing room where there's best Lauren Charlton. It doesn't come any bigger than that. It really yeah. doesn't. But um, he's a, he is a top, top lad. His stories are fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he's going to have many, many for us. Well, let's have him then. Here he is. It's Alex Stepney. See how I teed that up? That's just like... So, that was beautiful. It's just beautiful. natural. Just a just dream natural. team. I know. Yeah. Welcome to the podcast, Alex Stepney, our fourth goalkeeper. <laughs> thank you. And a very decorated one at that. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, um, surviving. <laughs> We're getting through it. It's great to have you on. We are absolutely delighted to have you. Um, I just want to start, Alex, for people that are listening. You've got three pictures behind you. <laughs> We're setting the scene here. Can you tell us what or who are in those lovely pictures behind you? Well, the one over my left shoulder here is um, the photograph that the club gave us when we won the FA Cup in 77. And that's the team there. Um, if I move my head yep. a bit, that is a picture which um, was when we won the European Cup in 68, and that's all signed uh, by the players. Wow. Oh, wow. And it's a, uh, a limited edition. Oh, of course. Uh, and I was very fortunate that I always got number one. Oh, <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, that's wonderful. And the other one is actually a, uh, another signed picture of, of the medal, which we, which we were given. And if I turn that a little bit, Oh, wow. You can see the wonderful signed pictures of George Best and everything. Wow. What an, what an introduction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, brought that, I thought you'd like to see that, Helen. Being, that being is 
Brilliant. Absolutely amazing memories there. Yeah, Al, that is absolutely amazing. Thanks for sharing those with us. Um, we know that you're keeping it in a, in a vault in the bank. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you've, just, you've just brought them out so that... <laughs> You get them back remote. in the vault after this conversation absolutely <laughs> yeah. they are incredible um, Alex how's lockdown been for you I know it's been quite complicated I'm sure you won't mind talking about um, the situation with your wife tell, no. tell us a little bit about that yeah it, it was um, obviously you know once it started you, and the age you are you have to be vigilant we, we, we were very vigilant and um, uh, we, we actually just moved virtually as it started so you know, you do it. Fortunately, I think we were lucky being in the country a bit because, you know, we're away from it all. And then two months ago, sadly, well, not sadly, but it was sadly uh, the fact that she had a heart attack, uh, mm-hmm. which was a massive surprise to me because she's a, my wife doesn't smoke or drink. And, but it's one of those things. It's I think it's hereditary, but uh, she's doing absolutely fantastic. And I've got to say, I've got to say, Helen, you know, Blackpool, Vic, We've been at the cardiac team there. We're absolutely superb. And, and uh, you know, we're on our way again. That's the main thing. Great stuff. Brilliant. That is great news. Are you a good nurse, doctor? Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a, a, you know, I think, I think I've been a bit more like uh, James Martin, you know, in the kitchen. Unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes sense. You've got great hands. <laughs> well, yeah. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. <laughs> What's your speciality? Oh, I, I think it's always in my speciality. It's always, always been spaghetti bolognese. I think the bolognese sauce. Unfortunately, uh, when when uh, you know I came to Old Trafford, the uh, Dennis Law knew uh, a chef from the Midland Hotel, an Italian guy, and uh, we used to go for lunch. All of us uh, meet up and go for lunch around his house in Chalton, and uh, he gave us the secrets of making the best spaghetti bolognese. Wow. Is she fed up with it yet, Al? No, 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 no. <laughs> the best thing about it, she can't really eat it because <laughs> certain, you know, I, I do put a bit of garlic and chilli in it. <laughs> Stay off the chilli. I just know this is going to be a great podcast just by the fact you're talking about spaghetti bolognese and Dennis Law is involved. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Uh, Alex, take us back to the start. We're going to do a little bit of a life story with you, if you don't mind. Mm. Uh, Take us back to the start growing up. What was your childhood like, brothers and sisters? Yeah, well, the thing was, I was born in, in obviously, South London. and uh, A war uh, baby, Al. During the war, yeah, 1942. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, the the fact was that I had a brother and... Uh, it was like actually 15 years older. Me and my sister was 13 years. So I was a war baby, you know, one of those things. And coming out, I, I just remember basically uh, being three, I think I was roughly when the doodlebugs were dropping. But so we got, you know, you, you got through it. We were rationed and things like that. Went to school. You know, we walked to school, not like kids do today, you know. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, it's you know, I enjoyed my football. My brother played football. He, he, he didn't make. He, he was a good amateur player, so that helped me to a to a certain extent. But um, at school, I went to Hatbridge Junior School. Uh, got in the school team there. Then I finished up in secondary school at uh, Carshorton. And um, you know, the main thing was that you know trying to play for your school and playing a district team to play what was then the English School Shields Trophy. And uh, we had a, there's only eight, eight schools in our district and we done well. We got to the quarterfinals and 
And uh, for the recognition of, of doing that, the actual school's FA um, gave us the honour of, um, of being ball boys at Wembley for the England Scotland School Boys International. Uh, and when I look back and think about that, it was, you know, Wembley was the place, it was, it was the Holy Grail. And, and to be even a ball boy there was something, you know, in, mm. in, in those days. And obviously you wanted to play for your, you wanted to play for your, your, your county, you wanted, to, you wanted to play and try being a school boy international, which I didn't. You know, I, I was one of these guys that, um, unfortunately, <laughs> I was reserved. I was reserved for, for, for Surrey schools, and because I lived on the border, I was also reserved for London schools. And what they could, well, they said, your first reserve, but you, you know, you never got a game, so I missed, I missed out basically. Who was, who was playing ahead of you? Uh, there was a guy called Mike Kelly, actually. He, he played, uh, we sort of crossed paths during, during the whole of my career when, you, when I think about it, because when, when uh, I, I, you see, you couldn't join a professional football club until you left school at 15 in those days. Uh, so you had to finish school and, uh, and off you, if you, you're done well, if the scouts had picked you up uh, around the country, um, you know, you, you got selected. I mean, obviously, the, the main one uh, for Manchester United was obviously Bobby Charlton. Uh, you know, uh, being a English schoolboy international and things like that. Nobby as well, people like that, Dave Sadler. Um, so, you know, that was it. I didn't, I didn't get anywhere. Um, I sort of, I played for me, uh, obviously school. And we kept together actually, which which was something unique. And um, we we joined a, a local boys club in in Sutton actually. Sorry, and um, we stuck together. And uh, uh, so I was playing. I joined Tutu and Mitchum as a youth player. Uh, they were in the Ispian League, and I don't know. It was I was playing Saturday uh, for school, Sunday for the. Youth club. Had you always played goalkeeper? Al? Never out outfield or no, never centre no, forward. I, or... I, I, no, I sort of took up goalkeeping when I was like uh, just began secondary school. Why was that? I, I just I just liked it. Yeah, yeah, I just liked it, and uh, you know I got into school team by doing it, so I, I stuck to it basically. Yeah. Did you have any? sort of like idols when you were younger or was there a team that you really followed? Well, what, what happened was, um, yeah, I mean, obviously the, the media side of it wasn't as like it is today, but I, I, I went to just uh, watch Chelsea because Chelsea was the biggest uh, club really nearest to me. I could have gone to Crystal Palace, but that wasn't so far, but it was Fulham and Chelsea, but it was easy, easy for me to get to Chelsea. Um, and I, I actually watched... Chelsea win the league every home game. Not, not, I didn't support Chelsea. I, I, I used to like Spurs, funny enough, because, <laughs> I, I, yeah, it was, it was just one of those things. That, um, and I, I couldn't get to North London, no way at all. But um, I, Ted Ditchburn was, was the, the, the uh, Spurs goalkeeper at the time. And it was Burt Williams from Wolves, you know. But by going to, going to watch every home game for Chelsea, I used to watch, I used to watch the goalkeepers. And I actually, I mean, I saw I saw United, you know, in, you know, in, in the fifties, the team that sadly, uh, you know, lost. We lost in, you know, in Munich, but um, and what a team that was. But it, it was that was I used to watch them, and because there was no goalkeeper coaches or anything like that. In, in my day. You you done everything yourself. You learn. You had to learn things yourself and and try and copy off other players, basically. And presumably, this is no gloves, right? Oh, no gloves, no. 
So it's no, just no, a case yeah. of just stand there and just try and stop the ball. No, you catch the ball. You don't try and stop right. it, you catch it. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Sam. You're talking to a legend here of goalkeepers. You've got to get no, right. Sam, it, different, it, different generation. Yeah. Um, but ironically, you know, I was very, I was very fortunate in uh, sometimes in life you have to be in the right place at the right time. And uh, not being a professional, I had to go to work when I left school. Uh, I was a paint sprayer for two or three years, but I was playing amateur football, making my way through amateur football. And, and um, I think we played actually with two, in the FA Youth Cup. Uh, we drew West Ham and we had to play on this park pitch uh, in, in Tooting because um, in those days you didn't play on the, on the main pitch. And uh, I mean, there was obviously Jeff Hurst, Martin Pieces and Bobby Moore because they're all basically the same age. Oh. But they, wow. beat us, they beat us 3-0. But I mean, it, it, back then you would never have thought what it was an honour to play against a professional team, you know? And uh, none of the goals were your fault, though. No, of course it wasn't. Been <laughs> <laughs> the defenders. At, at this point... Are you playing football because you love it and you're working because obviously everybody needs to work? Or were you playing football and still thinking, I'm going to make a professional career out of this and this is going to be my job? Well, you, you see, Sam, what actually, this, this youth club I played for, when I was 16, um, one of the, the, the parents, uh, he, he knew people within the game somewhere along the line and he got me a trial with Fulham and I had a trial at Fulham and uh, I'd done the, the first half and the manager was a guy called Bedford Jezzard who actually uh, played for Fulham, uh, you know, back in, back in, in, in the fifties. And uh, he came up to me and he said, I'm sorry, son, you're never going to make it. That was nice of him. So what do you do? What do you do? You, Famous you, you last walk, words. You walk yeah. away. Yeah. You walk away and you, you actually say to yourself, Hmm. I'm going to try and prove you wrong, pal. And ironically, I mean, as as years years later, back into 1970, when I was in the in the in the World Cup squad, um, Alf Ramsey arranged that we we all went. The whole squad, the 28 of us, went to the Grosvenor House Hotel, where there was a massive charity evening on with you know television stars and people and things like that. And we all had to go to one table. Like you had you in a, a number table you had to go to because I sat down. Who do I sit next to? Bedford Jezzard. Oh my he just goodness. looked at me and he just said, I think I got that wrong. And he might have said it in a worse <laughs> state of that. <laughs> uh, and on that table wow. was Ted Desburn, funny enough. That was, you know, but that, that's how it started. Um, and in 1963, um, I'd, I'd got into, actually, two, a year before that, I'd got into Tooting Missions first team. And uh, it, was, it was great. I, I was on the verge of an amateur cap, which, I mean, in those days, it was, you know, well, now I, could, I got a chance of going to the Olympic Games because that's how it was. What's it, Al, just explain that, an amateur cap. What's that? Well, you're an amateur footballer. You yeah. weren't professional. Right. And... and, and to play, when you, you play for England as amateurs, you had an amateur, you, you, you won an amateur cap if you, if you played for England. Did you not know that, Dave? I didn't know that, no. No, I've never, I've never heard of that, Al. Well, I think, I think there's only two players that have ever won at every level, right? And that is amateur, England amateur, right? England youth, 
schoolboy, yeah. under 23s and full international. And one of them played for Manchester United and that was David Sadler. Wow. And the other, the other player, I think, was, was Terry Venables. Anyway, that's, 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 um, that's how it, it, it evolved. And in 1963 was a, a massive, dirt, a very bad winter. And the actual football season closed down for two months. Like what we basically had now, you know, with this mm. coronavirus. When it came back, because it was such a catch-up period, and I was working, I was, I was, I was working, you know, sort of nine till five, and uh, and and then playing <clears throat> playing for Tooting and Mitchum on a Saturday. And the games kept coming. You you're playing uh, catching up games, but Millwall uh, wanted uh, a goalkeeper for their reserves. Because in those days, you know, there was only a squad of, what, 14 players or something like that. And the manager at Tootin was a guy called Derek Ufton, uh, a lovely man, and he, he, he played for Charlton. And he, he was also, uh, had been a wicketkeeper for, for Kent cricket. And he just said to me, Alex, he said, Mill, I want a goalkeeper. Would you fancy having a few games in the reserves? So I did. So I was playing. I was working. I was, I was playing Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, <laughs> you know, get the fiver in me, you know, for expenses. <laughs> it's helped out, you know. Brilliant. But no, I think because at the end of the season, when it came to the end, Millwall would finish runners up in the football combination, which was like the equivalent of the North of the Central League, as it was then. And uh, the manager said, Look, I, I'd like you to turn pro. Now, what do you do? You know, I was on the verge of an amateur cap. Turning pro, was I going to play? Um, and I sort of, actually, I said to him, look, I'll, I'll turn pro. I've got to give it a go. But I'd like to start the season. You know, give me a chance in goal to start the season off. And, it, and, and he honoured that. He said, yeah, and he honoured it. Oh, wow. And I, I will tell you what happened. was He gave me an envelope. When I signed, he gave me an envelope. And uh, he said, now, don't open that till you get home, son. Because I was like 20, just over 20 then. Uh, a bit late in signing as a professional, really, but, you know, you think about what happens today. And uh, I got home and I opened this envelope up. And, uh, there was £51 notes in it. Wow. And that was my signing-on fee, which was, I suppose, in those days, was illegal, really. But uh, What was you earning as a, as a sprayer? Oh, I was on about £7 a week. Wow. So you've got, pound a- you've got 50 quid in your hand there. <laughs> yeah, seven pound a week, and I'd sign. I'd sign for Millwall, and and I, I was on uh, uh, what was it? I think it was fourteen pound a week in the season, and twelve pound a week in the summer. Four pound for a win, two pound for a draw. That was that was my contract. And also in that envelope was a three and six FA Cup final ticket, nineteen sixty three. And I went to my very first FA Cup final and watched Manchester United beat Leicester three one. Oh, brilliant. How about that? Oh, my God. What an envelope that is. Incredible, isn't it? But the 50 quid, I had uh, two weeks in Tossa de Mar. (laughs) 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 That's brilliant. That's so good. So you did go on to spend three seasons at Millwall? Yeah, it was... was, Our first season was was hard. I I mean, I, I played every game. We got relegated last game of the season from the third division down to the fourth division. Uh, Barnsley drew with QPR and, and, and put us down, but it was down a goal difference. So that that was it. Um, but managers changed. 
uh, a guy called Billy Gray came in. Billy was a he won the FA Cup with um, Nottingham Forest in 1959. Uh, he, he sort of took control of our team, brought in players, got rid of players as they do, managers do, and we won promotion back to the third division that the next year, the second year, and then the third year uh, we won promotion to the second division. That was 1965-66 season, and. I mean, I couldn't believe it being that three years in the game. Uh, I got picked by Arthur Ramsey to play in three other 23 internationals and played with Alan Ball and uh, Martin Peters and people like that, who actually, they got into the team and then finished up winning the World Cup that year. That was quite a three years. Back-to-back promotions, under-23 titles. (laughs) Well, you know, it was something that I'd never dreamed of. uh, But I was learning my trade. Mm-hmm. And when you play for Millwall, yeah, that was the best probably apprenticeship you could ever have <laughs> because yeah. it was blooming hard down there and not many, not many teams like coming to the den, you know, as it was then. Mm-hmm. I made my debut at the den. Oh, Did my you? God. Oh, sorry, the second game at the den. Really? Horrible. Horrible. Well, uh, I, well, I tell you what, I loved it. I loved it because... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Well, the, the actual thing was, you know, the worst thing there was, was that you come out and you come out behind the goal. Yeah. And that's where all the fans were. You know, I mean, mm. I mean, they're all dockers. I mean, it was, they were, oh, it was, it was a wonderful time, really, if you play for Millwall when you lived on, you know, just off the old Kent Road, you know, that was, yeah. that was what it was like. Scary right. place. Um, but well, to, to put it in all perspective, I think, in, in we we got we drew against uh, we drew Fulham in in the FA Cup third round uh, that year and uh, we drew at Fulham's three three because they had to come back to the den on a Tuesday night and there was Bobby Robson and Johnny Haynes and all these you know England players and they they completely bottled it we won two 0 they didn't want enough they didn't want enough what did that feel like as a as a player, to, to be in that environment and to know that the opposition are hating it and to hear the crowd, but it always be on your side? Yeah, I mean, there was, I mean, then there was 30,000 there then, and it's, it's, it was just an atmosphere. But, but, but so many things went on, you know. I mean, I mean, the, the I'd love to tell you this story. It, it's it's when we won promotion to the third division. Uh, obviously, you know, our wages were, were min- minimal and uh, we went to the chairman uh, and said, look, you know, we want to rise. You know, we, we got at least five or six sort of, how can I say, uh, derby games, you know, your Brentford, your late night, your uh, Crystal Palaces and all, all around. And you knew you were going to get a full house, you know, of, of possibly 30,000, 35,000. And uh, it wouldn't have none of it. It wouldn't have none of it. And we nearly went on strike before the actual season started. And he came in and he said, the chairman came in, he said, right, okay, he said, I'll give you, uh, I've decided that I'll give you a pound a thousand over 25,000 at home games. So that meant that you, if you've got 35,000, you've got a tenner. <laughs> okay, and that tenner would ride on to the following week because, you know, you're home in the way until you play again. And uh, it had to be, on the, the crowd assumption in, in the news of the world. Uh, let me tell you, when we played these games, there were four houses. And in the, in the news of the world uh, on the Sunday, the crowd was 24,900. 
that's brilliant. That's brilliant. Brilliant. Chairman's having a word. Um, and that was it, uh, Helen. You know, it, it was uh, an enterprising time. And, you know, at the end of that scene, I wanted, because I'd done well uh, getting under 23 caps, uh, I wanted first division football. Simple as that. I didn't want to... I wanted to sort of improve and 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 play top class football. Mm-hmm. And uh, second division wasn't for me. Hull came in for me, who came up with us. But no, I didn't. Then West Ham came in for me. Ron Greenwood came in for me. I think there was a fee of forty five thousand involved, um, but that didn't materialise because Millwall and West Ham never got on. I think mm-hmm. that's and all of a sudden I'm in the company of Mister. The one and only Tommy Doherty, mm-hmm. who wanted to sign me for Chelsea, and and I said, well, no, I, I can't sign for you, Tom. I said, you you've got Peter Burnett. I said he's number one. He's in the England World Cup squad in '66, and he he just said no. And he said, listen, Peter and I have fallen out. He wants away. Um, as as West Ham won the goalkeeper, I will sell him to West Ham. Uh, so I thought, well, that's that's fair enough because in those days, there was, you know, there was only two goalkeepers. There was a first team goalkeeper, a reserve team goalkeeper, not like what we have to have today. Mm-hmm. So I thought, mm, I'd heard about Tommy Dock. I've got to be honest, I'd heard about him. I thought, no, I've got to speak to the chairman. And I, I spoke to the chairman of Chelsea at the time, was a guy called Joe Mears, a lovely, lovely man who was on the FA committee and, and that. And, uh, he just said to me, look, he said, Alec, you, you signed for us. I'll, I'll make sure and I'll, I'll promise you that I'll, we will sell Peter Benesha to West Ham. When Peter was with the World Cup squad, you see, uh, this is what, uh, May, May, May time-ish in, in 66. And um, so I signed, you know, I signed. And on that assumption, I, I believed in, in Joe Mears. And, but he was on the... the the FA committee, and England were playing Norway in Oslo, uh, a pre-World Cup match, because they didn't have to qualify because we're the home nation. Mm-hmm. And sadly, uh, Joe Mears dropped dead of a heart attack. And uh, a new chairman came in. Now I, he said, Peter Bernays is not going. So I was in limbo. Oh. Had you already signed by this point? This was Yeah, I signed. And Peter you signed. You see, Peter was with the World Cup squad. Yeah. So that, that, sort of, well, what's going to happen? And because uh, when it came round to uh, the start of the season, I mean, I played on tour. I mean, we went to Germany. I mean, Tommy Dock being a, uh, a true Scotsman, when England played in the World Cup, he made sure the pre-season tour started well, uh, just before and he took us to bloody Germany to get out of the way of England winning the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, that was the start of the season came and because he... I presume pressure from above, he, he played Peter. Uh, but Peter wanted to get away. Mm-hmm. As simple as that. And uh, Did you ever have a conversation with Peter? Oh, yeah. We worked, we, worked tra- we trained together. You know? yeah. No, but about the situation? Of- <clears throat> no, not really, because we no. didn't, we didn't uh, have, have that enough time, to be honest, Macy. Right. Because after three games, and you know what it's like at the start of the season, you know, you play on the Saturday, you play on the Wednesday, yeah. as it was in those days, and League Cup came in and things like that. So um, I think the third game of the season, all of a sudden I got a, a phone call on the Friday from Tommy Dock saying, Alex, uh, <clears throat> meet at the ground tomorrow, you're, you're playing against Southampton. Uh, now, whether Peter had feigned an injury, I, I couldn't tell you, but I played against Southampton, my very first first division game, and we won 3-0. And... Uh, 
because we turn up on Monday morning for training and everything's hunky dory. Uh, the doc says, called me and Peter in. He said, I, I want, I'm going to have to play alternate games, which, you know, was a bit funny before we started training. Uh, and after training, I got a call from uh, the trainer, Jimmy Andrews, saying, you know, you've got to go back to Stafford Bridge. The boss wants you there. And I went back. Uh, he said, right, okay, so get me car. I said, where are we going? He said, you'll find out. And we drove into <clears throat> into London and we pulled up at the uh, White House Hotel near Euston Station. And I'm sat in the reception there with, with him. And I said, what am I doing here? He said, you'll, you'll, you'll find out. He just kept saying, you'll find out. And sat there and, then, you know, the revolving doors sort of started moving and, and walked Matt Busby and Jimmy Murphy. No. Wow. How did you feel in that moment? Uh, and I just looked up. I mean, I had no, I completely no idea. The doc never said anything at all. But it, it was something like Matt just came straight over to Tommy. Uh, and he said, uh, just sit there a minute. You, you know, he was in charge. You, you knew the aura. Mm. He was in charge. And he said, right, we'll, we'll just check in and uh, come back to you. Went and checked in. And came back and he said, uh, well, Alex, pleased to meet you. And Jimmy, you know. And he just said, right, Jimmy, um, you take Alex to your room and have a chat. And uh, me and Tommy are going to have a chat. In my room. So the, the, f- the crazy thing when I look back was I'm in this room with Jimmy Murphy. I mean, he was a real character, as I found out you know, you know, over the years. And he kept saying, now, listen, son, you know, I mean, Manchester United are a, a great team. We, ha- we, have, uh, we have George Best, we have uh, Bobby Charlton, and we have Dennis Law, and David Hurd, and Paddy Crowns, and you know, it was just went on and on. And I, I said, you don't have to tell me. Yeah, know? I was just going to say, trying to sell you. <laughs> uh, he said, but you'll enjoy, you'll enjoy it, you'll enjoy it up north. You know, we, we were very friendly. And, that, and then all of a sudden, the, the door opened, and... Tommy and Matt came in and he said, right, Tommy, uh, I'll leave you here. Come on, Alex, come and have a chat with me, son. And took him into a room and uh, and he just said, look, he said, uh, everything's been agreed. Um, I'll tell you now, there's there's, there's no, we, imagine I, we don't do any sign-on fees, there's nothing like that at all. Uh, but you get a good wage and he told me my wage and, and uh, he said, are you happy with that? I said, yeah. He said, well, you know, that's brilliant. Love to... Glad you you know you're on board. You're gonna you're gonna enjoy yourself at United, and uh, you know okay, go home and uh, meet me at uh, meet me at, at you know nine thirty. We get a ten o'clock train back to Manchester. You couldn't sign on there because there was no fax machines in those days and nothing like that. So uh, the following morning, I had to meet them at Euston Station at nine thirty for the ten o'clock train. Wow, that is an absolute remarkable story. That is unbelievable. Al. Amazing. That is incredible. You, how, how can you, you know, it's just something that happens. It's out, out, completely out of it. Because the funny thing, Maisie, I don't know, I think I'm, I've told you a story, but I'd like to tell everybody that uh, I, I met, um, I got to Euston Station because I had to get the tube. Now, you can imagine I'm in a bit of a rush hour as well. And, you know, I, I, I wasn't, I didn't, my, my picture was on the back page of a newspaper. You know, yeah. and, and and I was trying to hide, and he's sitting in a tube, and then uh, and, I, and I and I and I got to uh, got to Euston, and and I, I thought to myself, what, what can I, I'm in a train, a first class carriage, 
you know, those little carriages with a table in it with, with Matt Busby and Jimmy Murphy for three and a half hours. What, what am I going to talk about? You know, it's, and he, Matt said to Jimmy, Jimmy, go and get some newspapers. I thought, my God, that, that'll do me. I can waste a, waste a bit of time reading newspapers and that. Because we got in the train and because you're in that little carriage, you just sat at table and I sat one side and Jimmy and Matt sat the other and he handed out the newspapers and I started reading. And then slowly, after about 10 minutes, Matt just slid the Daily Express across the table and he said, what's all that, son? And I said, uh, I, looked at the, I looked at the front page of the, of the Daily Express and there was a, a portrait, a head and shoulders picture of my wife on the front page. And the headline was, um, I'm not moving to Manchester. I'm not living in Coronation Street. <laughs> 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 and I, I just, uh, I said, oh, I'm sorry, boss. I said, uh, the press must have, I didn't know. The press must have got to her, you know. Knew um, nothing. She never mentioned it to me. And because that was it, you know, because uh, when, I, when I arrived, I uh, got back to uh, Piccadilly. David Meek, who was the, the top man yeah. for yeah. the Manchester Human News, met us and had a good chat with him. And I got to the ground and signed on. And, you know, uh, Johnny Aston Senior, who was part of the, the, the coaching side of it, the, the club scouting and that, he took me to my digs. Because in those days you you were putting digs, and I was just around the corner, uh, King Street with uh, Jimmy Ryan and uh, a young lad called Terry Paul, who's a goalkeeper, he was a, a youth goalkeeper at the time, and uh, that's where I was. I was sort of backwards and forwards at weekends when we didn't have a, a midweek game to London, and uh, after about I think I think six weeks. Uh, we played down at Ipswich, I think it was, and we had to go back to London. To and Matt just said to me, "Right," he just said, "I think you should bring your wife up on on Monday." You know, uh, and uh, it's about time you bought a house. And I said, "Right, fine." I mean, she hadn't been further than what for gap in her life before. You know, it was one of them. And we came up, and uh, oh, he said, "I'll get an estate agent to meet you." I'll get an estate agent to meet you and uh, show you around some houses. So we got off the train. What did, at, what did your wife say about all this, Al? Obviously, she no, she was she was she was she was she uh, fine she, with that? actually because she now she, she realised yeah. what had, had gone on. You know, the six weeks we we were doing well. You know, yeah. we hadn't lost a game and everything was hunky dory. And you know, it's, it was life. You had to you're a professional footballer. You could go anywhere really, and and you've got to live there. I do want to ask you a quick question. When you said you were sat at the hotel and Sir Matt Busby and Jimmy Murphy walks in, like Maisie's face was a picture. If you're watching this on MUTV rather than listening, his face was wonderful. And if you are listening, I'll try and describe it to you. It was David May looking incredibly shocked. <laughs> and everybody listening would have been thinking, wow, that's amazing. But obviously we know that that's amazing now because of everything that happened after. Mm. But to you, as a man from the south of England, who grew up watching Chelsea, supporting Spurs, and I guess Munich was, what, eight years ago at this point? Yeah. What were Manchester United to you? And, and what was Matt Busby to you? Because, obviously, we're excited now when we hear that story. Mm. But mm. for you, you could have been like, yeah, well, so what? What did it mean as Matt Busby walks in? Does, does that mean anything? 
Of course, it, well, it, it does sound because there's a simple reason which I, I probably missed out when we're talking about talking about earlier coming up from school. But in my last year at school, um, when, I was, when I was 15, uh, I had a little job. Uh, so that when I come home from school, I, I actually uh, used to go to the corner shop and I, I, I used to go and deliver groceries to to old people, you know, on my bike uh, and. Uh, because I, I, I mean, I was at fifteen. Like, and <laughs> I can, I've got to tell you that I just knocked on this door. This guy who used to talk to me about football, and he comes to the door and he was crying. This old guy was crying. And I said, "Well, what's the matter?" He said, "Have you not heard?" I said, "What? What?" He said, "The Manchester United planes crashed." He said, "Lots of players have lost their lives," and it hit me. It not only hit me as much then. Of what he'd done to him, you know, he he was a London lad, you know, and I've got to tell you that that it affected everybody right across the country, right across the world, and I knew how much it meant Manchester United and how it happened, obviously, on on the travels to the European Cup, and here I am, how the hell have I come in this short time to be part of the same team, you know? Yeah, because just a few months earlier, you were playing third division, third tier. Well, it been then you've gone 58. to Chelsea. Yeah, then yeah. you've gone to Manchester United, sharing a dressing room with some of these players who have been through this absolute tragedy. It's obviously touched Maisie, that story, because he's got tears in his eyes, I can see. Yeah. Um, but that is just incredible. And I'm sure for you, Alex, you didn't probably know how to approach the team, how to approach Sir Matt. That- Ellen, you're, you're absolutely right because I wondered, you know, and what Sam said there, what was he, what was what was going to go through my mind uh, when this happened, and my th- first first thoughts were, do they talk about it? Do they talk about it? And do you know what? The f- from the very first moment I met those lads, which Matt introduced me. They were training on the on the Wednesday morning because they were playing Blackpool in a, a League Cup tie in the evening at Blackpool, and he took me and he introduced me to those lads. And I tell you what, I knew then, not a word. They welcomed me with open arms, but I I knew no one spoke about it, and we never did. No one ever spoke about it. I mean, and when you got Matt and uh, of course. Bobby and, and Bill Fultz, who, you know, who survived yeah. the crash. Mm-hmm. It was never, ever mentioned. Was that, did that feel strange to you or you were you quite happy with that? No, I, I, I was very happy with it. Yeah. And I, I've always felt, that looking back, I mean, coming back to, to where we are now, that even when eventually we we done what we had to do in 68, it was ironic that... Um, when that final whistle went, if you look at the things, all of us went to Bobby, Bill and Matt. Mm. So all what I, I had in my mind, every other player had in their mind, but without saying anything. It was just it for them. Yeah. And and for the families who of the loved ones that had been lost who were in the stand and we knew that. And we, we looked mm-hmm. and I remember looking up and you know. It's it's easy now 
because we think of Manchester United as trophies and success and and glamour and and all of those things that have happened since. But I suppose prior to your first season, for those eight years or so, Manchester United were were what were they to the world? They were a team of of sympathy or a team of hope or a team of what what was it? Sam, I, I think I think it was down to uh way that the great man Matt had come through everything. The team was actually demolished. I mean, I saw that team play, and I mean, uh, you, it, they were incredible. I mean, obviously, there's always you can always say at the time who was the best player. Well, Duncan Edwards stood out for me, like I, you know, like I saw something which is incredible. But the rebuilding has started, and they won the FA Cup in '63. So five years after. You know, he built a team and then he got to the two semi-finals, I think, or quarter-finals of the, of the, of the European Cup, sorry. Uh, so everyone was behind him to, to, to try and win it and win it and win it. But you had to win the league to be represented, you know, uh, be representative in, in, in the European Cup. It, it was no full faces. It was just you had to win the league. So consequently, by winning it in 68, we, we won it in 67. Not to to linger on the tragedy for for the sake of it, but there's only so many people who are around now that can tell stories like you can of the day you found out that it happened. Mm. And I've only really read about that. No, no one ever really. Well, it's not something people want to talk about too much. And I just wonder there might be people like me who are younger who are listening who. You can only imagine how the news broke and how people found out and how they reacted. And really, you can only imagine that based on how the world is today. But what really was that like, that guy telling you that news on the doorstep? No, no, no. It, it was heartbreaking. You cried yourself for, for the simple reason that, you know, I'd seen these players. I'd seen them play, you know. And the people even, I mean, I'm talking about London now. I mean, I, I assumed it was the same all over the country and you know, paper-wise, media-wise, that everybody, you know, the following day, I mean, see how our, our players who'd survived, how, how the ones who were injured, how they were getting on, and it went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. So it, Manchester United was, it became, you know, you know, the number one topic all the time, how these players were, because they were innocent guys, they were honest professional football yeah. and it, it, it made I suppose I mean being hard but I mean I suppose that crash really actually uh, made more supporters around the world become national United supporters mm-hmm. you know in sympathy and that's what you do get in sometimes like that when you joined the club, Alex, obviously Harry Gregg had yeah. been through the horrific experience, was a hero. Mm. What was your relationship like with him when you first joined the club? Great, Harry. I mean, there's a goalkeeper's union. It's amazing, you know. Uh, you join, okay. You, you, I mean, Harry was coming to the end of his career anyway when I joined but there was Harry there was also Dave Gaskell there was a, a Pat Dunn who, who, who won the league in 65 three goalkeepers I'd, I'd come in and, and, and jump straight into the team but 
you had to work with each other. And, but you have a goalkeeper. It might sound silly. There's no. We never had coaches or anything like that. We had to get on and, and muck in with everybody else. That's how it was. Uh, there was no animosity at all. No. Uh, it's all about. I'll be very honest when I say that Matt had a family. He built a family, mm. and you work for that family whether you were playing or not, which is always been the Manchester United way. So somebody else you had to work with was George Best and someone else was Dennis Law and someone else was Bobby Charlton. Training yeah. must have been a nightmare. You didn't need a goalkeeping coach. <laughs> <laughs> Just turn no, up no, and have no. them shooting at you. <laughs> no, but the, the training was completely different then, Sam. It was, it was you, you mucked in with, you know, the, the normal training. That was, that was it. We trained from 10 till 12 every day. That was it, apart from pre-season. And it was, just, it was just basically the same thing. When you finished your training, or whatever, whatever Jack Crompton, who was the trainer, decided, or, or Matt or Jimmy came down and, and wanted a practice match or something like that, um, you are gone with it. And, and you always finished up, because players always wanted to shoot in and have shots against a goalkeeper. Yeah. And, you know, we, uh, whoever was with me, like Jimmy Rimmel was, was, was with me for, for, for a spell, but even Dave Gaskell and, and Harry at the time. But you, you take it in turns, go, you have six shots and then you get out and, and they have a go. And it's like a routine. But um, no, it, it, was, it was the interesting thing more was what players how they how they played uh, and done things in training you know in the other side of training like practice matches and things like that I mean George was he was exceptional <clears throat> you always knew what Bobby was going to do because Bobby had that class no one knew what George was going to do only George did you ever feel in training Al that because you've come for a record fee that you had to do anything different from what you was actually doing as a normal day's training did that put no. any pressure on you no, 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 but, no it, it, it's <laughs> the thing as a goalkeeper, it's all about reflexes and stamina and up and down. I mean, for outfield players, it's more running and pace and yeah. things like that, you know. But for me, it was always about, you know, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, catching the ball, coming yeah. in and, and, and showing your presence as well. That was another thing. Even in practice, even if you it was just crosses coming in, you know, anything around the box, you came in and you, because if I didn't, I would finish up in the back of the net. Hmm. You know that that was the way the game was then. Macy, um, can you remember after your first training session or maybe your first shooting session, and you're actually thinking, "Wow, George Best is in front of me, Dennis Law's in front of me, Bobby Charlton's in front of me." Did you ever think? This this does just does not get any better. You've got three <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. No, no, it actually, yeah, but you see, you talk. You talk. Did you ever pinch yourself and think, "Is this real?" No, no. The whole story it, about you just leaving Chelsea to United. There was a, there was a team spirit there. there. There was this 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 fantastic feeling that you knew that what what Matt had done and what Jimmy had done uh, to 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 create this atmosphere, but you were left on your own, Dave your own resources. Mm. I never had anybody tell me what to do. Matt Busby relied, and they relied on your talent. Yeah. Right? And you were allowed to express yourself. But so did every other player. I mean, as a goalkeeper, what, what do I want? I don't want that ball going anywhere between the eight yard and eight foot. Yeah. Right? And I'll make sure 
And I learned all this from Millwall, the hard days of standing up for myself. Yeah. And, oh, okay, I, I did wonder, I've got to be honest, how are these players like your Nobby Styles and your Bill Falls and, and Paddies and Tony Duns and people like that? How are they going to react when I say, I want this? They've done it. Yeah. But they weren't frightened if I made a mistake to tell me. And you've never done it again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a classic picture. It was in one of David Meek's books. And we played at Main Road. And uh, they had a guy called Mike Doyle play for them. And he had a long throw. And he, he took this long throw. And I went. And I've got, I've got to be honest, I've got nowhere near it. <laughs> and somehow the ball got scrambled away for a corner. And this picture shows Nobby Styles looking up with me. And I won't tell you what he said, but you can imagine what he said. Yeah. You don't do that again. Yeah. And I never did. <laughs> I never, ever did. But half time, sorry about that, Al, but I had to tell you, that's how we were. Yeah, absolutely. Who, yeah. Um, who gave you the hardest shot in training? Who had the most powerful shot? Well, there was, there was uh, it, back then... Helen, there was a um, who did have the hardest shot, and they did have a they did have a competition around the country, you know. Oh. And uh, everyone thought it would be either Peter Lorimer or or, or Bobby Charlton, uh, and it was a tie between Peter Lorimer and David Hurd, who played for us, and it was ninety five miles an hour. Wow! Wow! And that was with that ball. I was just, just going to say, that's with the old Liverpool relations yeah. in. Did you catch that one? <laughs> yeah, but you, you, you did. You, you got used to it, Alan. You know, it, it, it was something that you, you, you were brought up in your own mind that everything that came towards you, you had to hold, you had to catch. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was times where, yeah, you had to go and punch, you had to go over players. Uh, and at the same time, get your knees up and make sure you don't get hurt and, Whoever was there, they, they, they copped it. Mm -hmm. That's how you had to look after yourself. Did you ever break a finger? I'd done my fingers, my wrists, yeah. I'd imagine you actually played with probably a lot of broken fingers most of the time. Just, well, not so much broken fingers, your knuckles. Mm -hmm. The knuckles were uh, the main thing is that we sort of put out a joint. Uh, but we didn't have the, the sort of uh, stuff they have today uh, in the treatment rooms. We just had a... You just do it yourself, basically. I mean, I put if, I, if my fingers went, I'd put a little bit of strapping around one side and the other side of the knuckle and keep moving it. Hot and cold water, get the bruising out, and you know, play <laughs> play next week. Brilliant. Did you ever have gloves? Oh yeah. Did it ever? Okay. The first, the first, they were they were like cotton gloves. They were, they were just hopeless. I, I, I think. I remember there's a guy called a great goalkeeper called Ron Springett who who played for England before Gordon Banks, um, and uh, he came out with a pair of gloves, and they were string, and down the fingertips was like table tennis pimple yeah. stuck on them, you know, table that. tennis bat yeah. pimple. Yeah, and uh, he sent them to me, and we got to we played at West Brom, uh, you know, I think it was in December, it was a Pouring the rain, it was muddy and everything. And I said, "Well, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to try them out." Because you know? uh, I, I put them on, and uh, we came in at half time. It was West Brom three, Manchester United four. What a half! <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Astor had scored a hat trick past me. I think David Hurd had got a hat trick, and Dennis had scored. And uh, I just 
took the gloves off and threw them in the skip and uh, didn't want to see him, <laughs> didn't want to see him anymore uh, and went out and we finished up winning 4-3 so uh, forget the gloves <laughs> Do you ever find watching football now a bit stressful because every time you talk about goalkeeping you talk about catching but goalkeepers mm. don't catch much now like De Gea uses his legs all the time to make saves Do you, did, I imagine for you that made me a bit on edge I think that's the way the game's gone I, I, I think <laughs> The coaching, I, I spoke to Joe, Joe Corrigan, who, who obviously played for City in my day and also done a lot with England uh, a couple of years ago. And he said, Alec, he said, uh, you know, and I brought this up, you know, what, what's going on? He said, Alec, he said, you'd be surprised how the coaches now have changed the way goalkeepers play. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it's a non-contact sport anymore. It's a non, it's a non-contact sport. I don't see many goalkeepers now dive at players' feet. Yeah, that's true. Uh, they don't go down with their hands first, you know, to get the ball timing. I don't think they're taught that anymore. It annoys me. I've got to say that it does annoy me. We we had we worked on angles and things like that all the time, um, and 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 being and frightening players. Can they frighten anybody today? I don't know. I don't see much of it going on. A goalkeeper is is someone who, as far as I'm concerned, is controller that that you know put a penalty spot back to his goal. He, he has to have his defending. Well, Maisie, I mean, you you played and you before it all came. You you want someone at the back to to yeah, to, even at times to wake you up because and that's what happens. A, a big shout can make you react. Absolutely. You know, absolutely, uh, and I don't, I don't, I don't see that anymore. And uh, but it's not only it's not only one player, it's one goalkeeper. They're all doing it. Mm. They all go and, and stand and, and and lean back a bit. Well, we were never taught to lean back. We were, were not taught, but we never went back. We had to go forward to to react. That's form of defence. That's yeah. right. Alex, if I can just take you a little bit back on our timeline again. Your first two seasons at the club, you were integral and um, winning the league. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, in 68, winning the European Cup. That's that's quite an introduction to Manchester United. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was. And funny enough, you, you mentioned that, Alan. I, I, I thought before I came on, you know, it was a long time ago, that first game in, in, in 66. I, I, I looked up. What the team was on my first on my debut game against City, and uh, ironically, ten of us played in the European Cup final. And the only one that didn't was Dennis Law because he was injured, wow. and Brian Kidd played. So in those two years, you know, it was you could tell that you know it was there was a family affair there that um, mattered. What's the name? We we lost we lost a great player. Here. When we won the league, uh, it was a young lad called Bobby Noble. Uh, he was left back. And no surprise, when I can tell you, it might surprise a lot of people, that Tony Dunn, who was a natural left-footed player who sadly passed away a few weeks ago, uh, played over 500 games like this off at the club. He moved him to right back and he brought in Bobby Noble, who was captain of the England youth team when, when they won the World Cup as a youth, youth team uh, back in the 60s. And he was a hell of a player, defensive and hard and solid, not a lot of players. He, he left his mark on players. And you had to do that in those days. 
and you had to have players like that. Um, but he, he, he suffered a, a car crash right at the end of the season, so that was the end of him. And because then Francis Burns came in and, and Tony Dunn went in, Shea Brennan went right back. It was, but there was not a lot of changing going on with Matt. He knew when to move a player at the right time. Mm-hmm. Well, the following season mm-hmm. wasn't a great start for you, Charity Shield. Big Pat well, Jennings. That, yeah, I know, but, but you, you said it, a charity. Was it charity? <laughs> <laughs> if, not, if anyone's listening, Alex, uh, Pat Jennings scored from the other end of the goal. It bounced over Big Allen goal. The, the funniest <laughs> thing about it... The, the, <laughs> was it a bad bounce off? It is a funny thing. I, I, I laugh about it. it was, <laughs> when it happened, I mean, you see, centre half used to be so deep then and when he kicked the ball out, Bill Fawkes was just outside my box, you know. And, yeah. and as far as I know, he, he, he was going to control it. And I just, I, I, I shout, you know, Bill, yours. And that, he ducked. Because he ducked. And I come off my line and it bounced. Went up. But the funniest thing was, the referee didn't know what to do. And I won't use the words that Jimmy Greaves and Alan Gilzine were saying to the ref. <laughs> you know, they were laughing their socks <laughs> But uh, no, that happened. But, you know, at the end of the day, you look back on your career, uh, he only scored one, I scored two. I was just going to say. <laughs> were both of the goals you scored in your appearances for Manchester United penalties? Yeah. Both penalties? Yeah. Uh, and I should never, uh, how the hell I, I finished up taking penalties, I'll never know. The only thing I can look back on is the season, and it was actually the season we got relegated, to be honest. But uh, the, 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 the funny thing was the pre-season, we played in a, in a, a four-team tournament in Mercia in Spain. And uh, I think Valencia played Mercia. We played a team from, called Penarol from Uruguay. So that whoever won, there was going to be a Spanish team in the final. Uh, and we drew with Penarol, um, 1-1, and uh, we had to go to penalties because... I, for some unknown reason, said, I'll take one. And I did and scored and I saved a couple. That was one of those things and never thought no more about it. And when we when we played Leicester City at home, uh, I think about the third or fourth game of the season uh, on a Wednesday night, um, Willie Morgan, who used to, used to be the penalty taker, uh, was injured. He failed a fitness test and, and as we were going out, Martin Buckner, who was, who was our captain, said to Tommy Doctor, who who's taking the penalties? And he said, Alex, not thinking that I'm going to get a penalty or anything like that. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and of course, I was at the Stratford end and we got a penalty against Leicester and who was in goal, Peter Shilton. Uh, you should have seen his, you should have seen his face when, uh, when, you started when walking. he saw me down there and, uh, uh, and you should have seen his face when I sent him the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> and the best thing ever, he's never spoke to me ever since. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then, you know, if I go back to what you were mentioning about, uh, Sam, about who, who was in front of you, uh, you know, at schoolboy level, there was a guy called Mike Kelly, I said. Yeah, you did. And uh, he was playing for Birmingham. And uh, we had a penalty against Birmingham. And uh, <laughs> I sent him the wrong way and I thought, got you. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So how many penalties? What's, what's your record we're, we're talking oh, here? Uh, well, no, t- uh, I, took, I took three. I scored two. Uh, the one I missed was against Wolves. Um, it hit the goalkeeper. I used to smash it 
he hit the goalkeeper went for throwing so I just walked back to my own position <laughs> was, that, was, that the, was that the last one you took? that was the last one I took we, yeah. Yeah, we did it so hard I used to smash it and that was it yeah, Brilliant. I mean, if it's going out for a throw-in, that's that's well hit, isn't it? Uh, especially with that ball, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Al, I've got to take you back to the European Cup, yeah. Eusebio, and he actually applauded you. Mm. I mean, everybody speaks about it, but at the time, he's him bearing down on you. What was you thinking? Well, I, I was actually... Uh, it, it was a situation, you know, you, you, you're playing finals and... and and, and they, we were winning, you know, uh, and they scored 10 minutes from the end. There was no clocks in those days. There was, there was no clocks, so you didn't, you were always looking for the bench for someone to yeah. give you some idea and, and they scored with 10 minutes to go and because, you know, it was humid, there was 100,000, and I've got to say that, probably 80 or 90,000 were match United supporters, but the, the, the actual fact was when it was played through, I, I knew it wasn't long to go and, when that ball came through, the Wembley turf in those days, because we never really played at Wembley a lot in those days, and the Wembley turf used to sap his strength, for, you know, and he used to slow the ball up and everything. And when the ball was played through, I actually came off my line fraction because I thought it's like a, I don't know, 55, 45 ball to me or whatever, you know. And I could see him coming down and and... Tony was trying to get across. Bill was there and Shay was trying to get across because they knew the danger. Yeah. And, I, I, and the ball slowed up. At split second, and I'll be honest with you, amazing that in a split second, he wants to smash the goal. He wants to burst the back of the net. And I stepped back and went forward. And because he did that, he smashed it. Okay, he went straight at, basically straight at yeah. me, but it, it, it stuck in my chest and... Uh, and that was it but and he actually applauded you yeah but I didn't see that I didn't right. see that because my first reactions were there's not long attack. left I, I, I've got to start a counter attack and my always my instructions were as a goalkeeper when I got the ball I wanted my full backs to go wide because I wanted I wanted to release this and and Chris Tony Dunn had gone wide Tony Dunn had gone wide and that was it I threw him the ball and then but when I turned round, he was there sort of with his hands together I didn't know anything more about that I just you know that was it wow. never even thought any more about it to be honest well the rest of that evening went alright as well didn't it oh, well it did, it did. Um, I mean I, I think when you, when the final whistle went after 90 minutes you know it was you know we got 30 minutes to go 15 minutes each way uh, a lot of players players were tired you know it was a very sort of sat most of the players and uh, and I can always remember you know you, you remember things and it comes back to you that okay off the bench you know Ted Dalton the physio come on and they're rubbing and Johnny Aston were rubbing people's legs and I was alright don't get me wrong you know being a goalkeeper but George was always the fit. he was a very fit guy very very fit and he, he looked okay George and, and then someone said you know, we're shattered, we're shattered. But Paddy Crown, usual Paddy, if you think we're shattered, have a look at them. And they were exactly the same, you know. And uh, of course, we scored, I think, after a couple of minutes. And that, um, that, that, that turned the game for us. They, they actually, we, we, we got bigger again and they went down. But you, you, you do know the funny story about what happened about that goal, do you? We'd like you to tell us. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, because what happened was we got a throw-in on the, on the, 
on, on the left just outside the box and, and Johnny Aston threw it back to Tony Dunn. Right? And Tony, could, Tony was a great player, but he didn't want the ball. He didn't want, you're, in a, you're, in a, you're in an extra time, European Cup final, you don't want to make a mistake and you're tired. And he didn't, and he passed the ball back to me, right? which I could pick it up in those days, you see, I could pick it up. And because I turned to me right and I saw Shea Brennan, my fullback, and, and I thought, yeah, no one around him. I threw in the ball back. Simple as that. I threw in the ball to him and he passed it back to me. I, I, you know, now I've got to kick it. And I kicked it in because Brian Kidd got a flick on. And Bestie done his fantastic nutmeg. I mean, nutmeg, their captain, Kaluna, an enormous centre back, went past him and went round the goalkeeper and slowly put the ball in the back of that. Us to go, you know, win two one. Are you actually claiming an assist here, Al? Well, <laughs> the thing was, you see, when after all the rigmarole and all the fantastic round the, round the stadium with the trophy and and, and getting got in that dressing room and, and and you can imagine, you know, champagne and the trophy and everybody. It's the end of the season and everything's absolutely unbelievable. Everybody's happy. You get that. 10 second lull where it goes quiet. Yeah. You always get something like that. And Shay Brennan, a wonderful character, stood up on a, on a chair and with a senior service in his, in his fingers and a glass of champagne and said, right, lads, just remember, I started to move for our second goal when I passed the ball back to Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Character, Char- you, you know, the team, team had characters, and that's 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 what kept us going. A senior service at the time was obviously a cigarette. A cigarette, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Alex, the next few years, unfortunately, saw United slip into a little bit of a decline. Yep. Sir Matt Busby retired uh, in '69, and then, of mm. course, Wilf McGuinness came in. Mm. What was that period like? The changeover in in managers. We've heard lots of people talk about what it was like when Sir Alex left, and I'm presuming it was very much similar for you guys. Yeah, yeah, you can re- recollect on that. On that, um, Alan, the, the, the fact was that. Um, uh, <laughs> When, when Matt decided that he was going to basically go upstairs, because there was a lot of talk between the players, the players who, who were in, in our team, who was, you do, well, who's going to be the next manager? That, that's, you know, do you know him? Do you, whatever. And I, I've got to be very, very honest and, and, and say that um, I was saying we all thought that Noel Campbell would get the job. Because Noel, when I joined when I joined Manchester United, it was a bit surreal because Noel Campbell was club captain, and Noel had been captain when they lifted the the the, the, the FA Cup in '63. But Dennis Law was team captain, okay, and then because Dennis got injured, Bobby became captain. But Matt, when Noel sort of finished his career, in, I think he finished. 69, 68, about 68, 69 at the club. Oh, he sent him off to commentary. He sent him to commentary, funny enough, I shouldn't say that, but he sent him to commentary as manager. And we all thought, see, Noel was one of the, the West Ham sort of coaches that were doing the rounds in the game at that time. Your Malcolm Allison's, your Malcolm Musgroves, all, all, all these, all these uh, ex-West Ham players thought that Noel was going to get the job because Matt had sent him off to 
you know, because he had been club captain at the club and yeah. and that. And uh, but they didn't, that didn't happen. Wolf became manager, uh, who was from the inside. And uh, the first season, basically, he okay, he, he changed a few things, but then he wanted to do it his way, and that's mm-hmm. that's where. When eventually um, he like well he lasted eighteen months I think well mm-hmm. and then Matt came back Matt I mean I I I knew I was gonna I got injured at Arsenal and, and done my shoulder George guy you know, from Arsenal called George Armstrong smashed my shoulder I done my shoulder and uh, so I was out for six weeks but I never got my place back and, but I'll be honest Wilf and I didn't really get on and I, I even at one stage asked for a transfer. I wrote for a transfer uh, because I knew my, my my time was limited if, if Wilf was managed. And um, the club turned it down. And that was it, basically. Uh, and then Matt came back for the last few games of the season and he, he brought me straight back. And I think we finished eighth in the league. Uh, so, you know, why should I leave Manchester? Yeah. I think it was, it was six years, I think, between winning the European Cup and getting relegated. Yeah. And I think I'm right in thinking you were the only player that was still there that won the European Cup yeah. and went down. Yeah, it was him, yeah. Uh, because don't forget, after Wilf, in come Frank O'Fell. Mm-hmm. Frank O'Fell come in, and, and, and Frank was a lovely man. I mean, you know, his coach was Malcolm Musgrove. Uh, and I, I think he, he sort of thought possibly that the team was getting aged a bit, you know, with Bill and, and, and Bobby and, and, and that. But we had a flying start. We were five points clear coming up to Christmas. Basically. Uh, Bessie was unbelievable. He was scoring goals. But we were winning 3-2, you know, 4-2, things like that. And it stood out like a sore thumb that we needed someone at the back, a good another centre-half, because Bill was like 36, 37 or something like that at the time. And he didn't buy. If he'd have bought before Christmas, we could have, I think we could have gone on and won the league. And he bought the best centre-half that I'd ever played with, uh, Martin Buckle. Um, but he didn't buy him till March. It was too late then. Uh, and because things changed the following start of next season because Frank left then. And couldn't believe it. You look at who's your next manager. I mean, no, Tommy Doherty. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> How did you um, feel about that? Well, surprise, surprise. You know, I mean, you know, it's like everything else. Um, how long am I going to be here now? You know, like three months in Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I've got to say, well, I could be here for quite a while. I'm taking penalties. I think I still hold the record as the leading goal scorer in the Football League as a goalkeeper. Anyway, come yeah. on. No, no, listen, that's a good that's a good thing to mention. Love it. <laughs> Al, Al, you've played with some unbelievable characters, as you said. Mm. Sir Bobby, um, yeah. George, Nobby. Uh, and Any stories that stand out where you think? T- team-wise, we won the league right, in 67. Now, there was two games to go, and we're away at West Ham. Yeah, let's go and win there 1-0. Or, or, you know, that, you think, if we can win 1-0, we've won the league. But that wasn't the Manchester United way. Yeah. That wasn't Matt Bosby's way. We won 6-1, mm-hmm. you know? And can you imagine, you know, you're a West Ham. Yeah. You know, do you keep the ball at 1-0? No. You go and you score and you go again and you score and you score again. That was, that, that to me, 
just shows you the way, you know, Matt wanted our team to win and play. Yeah. I don't think you'd get that today. No. What was what was George like? George was he was incredible. I mean Any nights out with him? Oh, many nights out with I, him. Well, no, I, I think because yeah, you, you, I'll, 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 t- I'll take everybody back. Maybe about what would it be? Ten years ago, we went out. Al, yeah, remember that? In were you talking talking? Talking, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a few of like the the nineties team, and obviously then you, you go back to your era. You you and Paddy, yeah. And I can just imagine what you lads would have been like looking at that night we had down in Torquay. You've well, got your tie. You've got your tie like a bandana. Yeah, Paddy's just having a laugh, and it was it's like boys on tour. That's how, we, that's how we, we 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 didn't have to worry about we we didn't have to worry about the media. We didn't yeah. have we didn't have nothing like that. We, we, we the media joined them with us because they yeah. they, they were honest with us. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, today uh, you know you, you know John know better than anybody. You know it's you, you just can't do that today. No, but we 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 could go out and uh, and, and enjoy ourselves over over a right few days, but at the right time. That was mm. the, the basic thing about about it. I mean, when I happened with George later, people talk about George, and I always say to him, look, I played with George for seven years, you know, seven or eight years. I mean, the five years were just absolutely incredible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely incredible, and remember George that way. Everybody yeah. should remember George as he as he was as, as a, a great player for Manchester United. I mean, he came to fame. All right, okay, when he when he when he played his first game against West Brom about 1963 or 64, it was. But when he when he when he when he scored those goals against Benfica, you know, away from home, and came back with. Sombrero yeah, and yeah. was named the fifth Beatle. Yeah, you know, I mean, but that didn't deter him from being a great footballer. He was absolutely incredible. So was Bobby. So was Dennis. Alex, I just want to ask you there. There is some people that have this ridiculous argument that Pele and Maradona are even compared to George Best. <laughs> was he the best for you? Yeah, 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 yeah. Because you know. He was European Football of the Year. So was Bobby, so was Dennis, mm-hmm. you know. And how, how lucky and how fortunate was I to play in a team with three European Footballs of the Year because that would never happen again, mm. you know. The fact that with George, well, let's go with Bobby. Bob, we knew what Bobby, Bobby was a class. He was a gentleman of football. He'd done everything perfectly as far as he was, he, everyone agreed. He, he wanted to score fantastic goals. He was a great passer ball. He worked his socks off for the team, that was his position. You know, he would score from 25 yards. He great, fantastic goals. Dennis Law was a typical poacher. Penalty spot, six-yard box, any, any ball that was, came loose there, it was in the back of the net. Great header of the ball, great centre forward. George would beat five, six players, score with his right foot, score with his left foot, head the ball in the, with his head and score great goals. And what he and he would try that in training. I mean, at the the, the classic. You can ask Paddy this. I mean, when you when you see him, but we we were playing Liverpool on on a, uh, on the Saturday, and after training at the the cliff on the Friday, he came to Paddy and I and he said, "I want to try something. I want to try something out." He said, "I've got I've got to try this out." He said, and "We said, well, what do you want?" He said, "Look," he said, uh, 
we watched Liverpool, not on television, we used to go and watch games. And he said that Bill Shankly had this back four of uh, Emily Hughes, Ronnie Yates, Tommy Smith, Chris Lawler. Tommy Knights was goalkeeper. Not many teams scored at Anfield. Not many teams would score at Anfield because they played, Bill Shankly had them playing high up the pitch. So when any team came over that halfway line, they would win it, they would foul you. They, they, it doesn't make no difference. It stopped them scoring. But George knew he had pace and he knew as the right ball was played at the right time. He could beat the system. And, and, and what he did, he said to Paddy, he said, I want you to go in the old right half position to Cliff, you know, with the ball. He said, and face that goal down there. He said, hey, you go and go against me up there. Do what you were doing again. And he said to Paddy, he said, right, Paddy, turn. He said, I'm standing on the halfway line, right on the touch line. He said, so when you hit the ball, I'm not going to be offside. And Paddy was a great pass to the ball. He just hit this ball. It went 20 yards down the left wing and George was on it. He came at me at the angle and I, as a goalkeeper, tried to push him away. I couldn't push him away. He kept coming straight at me, straight at me, straight at me. And when I went to dive at his feet, he toe-poked the ball, he hit my shin and he put the empty ball in the empty net. And he said, you didn't expect that, Al, did you? No. Nope. <laughs> he said, that would do. Because we went to Anfield the next day and they, Liverpool had a corner and we were kicking towards the cop and he, uh, I took the cross and I threw the ball to Paddy, not realising, you know, I'd forgot about all this and Paddy turned and hit, just nonchalantly hit the same ball and Bestie was on his bike and he, he went to the ball, he got between Smith and Lawler. Emmy Hughes tried to come across, he couldn't catch him. Tommy Lawrence did exactly what I did. And what did he do? He toe-poked the ball, his shin, and he put the ball <laughs> out, you know, and wow. just stood Brilliant. there and put his fist up to, to the cop and laughed at him and ran all the way back. It's <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. a way to celebrate, isn't it? Yeah, brilliant. <laughs> I mean, brilliant. Yeah, they, you know, but you, you know, you play with Maisie. Players, they've done, they done things, uh, you know, in training and, you know, it, it was fantastic to watch, but yeah. to be part of it was, mm-hmm. was even better. Mm-hmm knowing what was going to happen. Over 500 appearances and five managers you played under <laughs> at Manchester United. When you look back at that, you know, for a player to do that now would be quite incredible to make that many appearances. There's not many. I think it was, no. was it 539 you made. Well, yeah, that's what they said. Uh, I think there's another. I think there's another two somewhere, but I, I'm not bothered about that. Might no, we Anglo. are. We're, we're going to call 541 then. <laughs> Anglo, <laughs> Anglo <laughs> Cup or something. I played in two. <laughs> and you won everything apart from the League Cup. That's the only one that was missing for yeah, you, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a shame, really. You got semi-finals and you got. But that's it's the worst one. <laughs> yeah, it, it, Every, it was... everybody thinks it's the worst one. <laughs> No, but it was, a, it, was, it was great, Helen, great. But when you look back and you look at all those pictures on your wall, you look at your medals, which are obviously in your vault, <laughs> you must be incredibly proud. Very proud. Very proud to uh, play for Manchester United. The supporters have been absolutely fantastic. When we went down, I think possibly myself... Uh, because I've been at the club and gone through what I'd gone through uh, in the 60s and, and, and achieved things, uh, felt very sorry for the supporters. But then they got us back up. Mm-hmm. You know, they they just they, they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't they, they ride like that. They, they... But I'm on the phone now. I'm on the phone. See you, love. Oh, didn't, he, didn't even get a bye there. That's just that's <laughs> granddaughter. <Boom. Yeah. laughs> anyway, um, where was I? Yeah, the, yeah, that was that was um, the supporters have been great, and to play all this and been there for twelve years, and 
and do what I did. Incredible. You know, there's always great times and, and, and there's always sad times. I mean, I look back and uh, do you know what? One of the one of the things that I, I really, really sort of not so much well do regret that I wasn't there was when we won the European Cup in '68. You know, after the game at Wembley, um, you can imagine. You know, the following day, England were had to go to Germany and then on to uh, Italy for the Nations Cup, and I was in the squad with Bobby and Nobby, and we missed the homecoming. Yeah. Oh, that's gutting. And by the time, like, three weeks later, we come back, it was all forgotten. Not forgotten, but, you know. Yeah. And it, 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 we were in Germany, and they're not going to show it. And there was no Sky Sports anyway. We've uh, we've got to wrap this now. And okay. Alan, thank you so much for sharing your stories with us. There is one more, though, I've been asked to get from you. I don't know this story, so I don't know what it's about. Uh, but I've been asked to get the story from you about the coin. The coins. The coins. Yes. Well... When you when you when you play in a team in the sixties uh, with British players, mm-hmm. uh, British and era Irish Irish players at the time, uh, and we had a, a few Scotsmen in the in the in the squad. Two, namely uh, internationals, Mr. Law and Mr. Crowd. <laughs> uh, and as you know, Scotsmen don't have pockets, and. Um, <laughs> What we used to do before games, when we travelled away to London or wherever we were, Newcastle or Ipswich, doesn't make no difference, uh, on the Friday, um, usual thing, have dinner, go for you know a film. Uh, and when you're in London, uh, it was always, there'd be six of us or whatever, uh, right, taxes, uh, toss up for the taxes. And we all had the old pennies. I don't, you might not remember them, Sam, but the pennies were, were big and we tossed up and the old man out, paid for the taxi. No, no problem. Uh, get to Leicester Square Odeon, uh, pay for the tickets. Uh, yeah, okay, toss out, old man out. Yeah, no problem. Uh, chocolates. Uh, well, Laura and uh, Crerans never, ever lost. They would even get chocolates for the wives, big Cadbury milk tray chocolates, Boxes on to take home, uh, taxi back, and we couldn't understand it. But what we didn't know, and what these two Scots so and so's did, because Dennis knew an engineer, uh, and he got these pennies chamfered down and had stuck together two heads and two tails. (laughs) And uh, they both had them in the right pockets that they had, and uh, Every time they tossed up, they would never, you know, they would never play friendly. <laughs> and uh, until, <laughs> I mean, oh. it's it a classic. I mean, it was typical yeah. Dennis Law, really. Um, and what happened was we went to Blackpool, Matt took us to Blackpool for a, a sort of get-together sort of few days. And we stayed at Norbrick and we went to the pitches as usual. Uh and because we tossed up as usual, not knowing anything. And then, I mean, Nobby was as blind as a bat, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know I didn't notice it, but when this coin of Dennis's hit the tile in the fore, fore thing of the, of, of, the, of the cinema, it split open and both halves sort of gently went no. like that. Yeah. And Nobby saw it. So we <laughs> eventually found him out. Hundreds and hundreds of pounds later. 
Oh, brilliant story, that. Wonderful. Brilliant. Oh, I wish that we had more time. I could talk to you all day. That was absolutely incredible stories. Thank you so, so much. Before you go, though, Alex, just one Mm. final one. I promise it will be one final one. We always ask our guests to recommend one of their uh, former teammates to be a podcast guest. Who would you recommend for us? Oh, now then. My my teammates, I, 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 I'd say Arthur Orbison. I don't know if you've done Arthur. No, we haven't, no. actually. Uh, Arthur is uh, he's a good friend. I mean, he came into the the 77 Cup final, uh, you know, after Stuart Houston broke his leg. And he had a wonderful career, a wonderful career at United. You know, we didn't win titles, but, you know, he, he played in, I don't know how many FA Cup finals. And, yeah, I, I think Arthur would be great guy it. too. Uh, the only thing, he's a Scotsman. You always have to get that one in. Get the last thing in. Absolutely, Al. I mean, I mean, Al, Maisie, I don't know what he's like when your day, but I mean, I mean, home internationals in those days, but oh, you, you wouldn't believe what it was like in the dressing rooms before, before the home international. I could believe it, yeah. Jeez. With Laura and Crerand. Brilliant, brilliant. What a double act they are. Thank you so much. That was absolutely brilliant. Pleasure. It's been a pleasure. pleasure. Absolutely brilliant. All the best to your wife as well. Yeah, Enjoy thank the you. rest of your day. And keep safe, all of you. You know that. Yes, you, you too. too. Go and get the spag ball on, mate. Yeah, I will do. <laughs> 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 Take care. Thanks, Alex. Cheers, Thanks, Alex. Bye. 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 So that's our chat with Alex Stepney. What an incredible guy. That could have gone on for about another two hours. Comfortably, yeah. yeah. That could have been longer than Schmeichel's. We didn't even get on to him going to America, then his career at Ultranham. There was just just so much to talk talk about. about. Yeah, so much we didn't talk about in his Manchester United career. Yeah, but also he's such a natural storyteller. And I think he enjoyed telling his story that you you do sort of run out of time. And also Maisie, um, thank not to, to delve in for too much, but I think you might be approaching Helen's record for tears shed on podcasts. Whoa. I think something flew into my eye. Oh, did it? Okay. Yeah. yeah. That old chestnut. <laughs> no shame in it. It's very emotional stuff. When I, th- I think whenever I speak to older players like Alex or Paddy, I do get emotional because of the the ties you have with the club and what they what what they know. And when they're telling relaying the stories, I think I think it's only time when I put myself in their position and think, wow, mm-hmm. it's it's so powerful. It is. it is. And I do get carried away a little bit at times and have a little fill up, but hey, it's natural. No, it's true because you can read about these sorts of things or you can yeah. watch documentaries, but when you hear it from someone, it's totally different. I remember having a conversation with Harry Gregg one time and it honestly affected me for so long. I couldn't stop mm. thinking about you know, his words, because that's the thing. When you hear it from somebody themselves, like Alex Stepney, you know, living through something like that, it's it's just mind-blowing. It is. It's very emotional. It is. It's, it's just incredible to listen to him. Also, interesting. I was going to say, interesting, his story with Tommy Dark, that he plays one game and that's my beer machine going off, so sorry about that. <laughs> of course that. it is. Standard. Um, standard, yeah. No, even the story, I love his story of the fact that he came from Chelsea to Old Trafford how Tommy Doc just took him to an hotel and went, this is it, get in the car, we're going here, and that's it. And it was no done deal. No idea where you're going, I know. Yeah. Could you imagine someone doing that too, Maisie, and you just being like, well, where am I going? Nah, just wait. 
you know what? Can you remember the Berbatov one? When they shoved yeah. him in the boot? Yeah. Quite similar. Yeah, and Lou, yeah. He didn't know Lou. where he was going. Yeah. In this day and age, it's actually quite scary if somebody told you a story like that. Yeah. yeah. Times have just changed. Yeah, Lee Grant was a bit like that, wasn't he? In that, he, well, he didn't tell his wife or any of his family what was happening. Yeah. Let it all happen yeah. first and then said, we're off to Manchester. Well, I, th- I, think, I, I think this is so good that we do these podcasts and you actually hear these stories that it's just nobody would ever, I would never have known that. No. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you guys won't, and I'm sure there's no. thousands of li- listeners out there who just think, Millions. oh my God, that is unbelievable. Sorry, yeah. Mill- um, millions of listeners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take that out task. I can't believe <laughs> that all our listeners out there, you know, the millions around the world, yeah. would actually be thinking that. It's incredible. I know. Brilliant story. Speaking of the listeners, yes, we've got some of their reviews. Should we, give up, should we have a read, see what people think? Yep. Absolutely. Okay. I've got one here from Jamesy Cantona, which is an excellent name. Uh, he says, great podcast. I was expecting this podcast to not tell the whole story and be a bit vetted by the club, not wanting to take any risks, but they have allowed the stories to be told candidly. The style of presenting is really good with a really good dynamic between them. Hey, guys, we've got a good dynamic. Sam just put, it that, put that line in himself. Put it? No, it's what, it's what Jamesy Cantona said. <laughs> I don't want to joke in. Uh, thank you, Jamesy Cantona. Clarky boy says that this podcast is just the thing you need for a United fan. You can tell the team enjoy making these. Loved all the episodes from my heroes, Ryan Giggs, Scolzi, Everish, Michael Irwin, and even a squad member Lee Grant episode is just full of enthusiasm. Just brilliant. Really opens your eyes to the guys on the fringe of the first team. Well done, Maisie, Helen, and Simon. Simon. That yes, is your new you. name, in case you haven't thank noticed. Thank you very much, Lucky Boy. <laughs> uh, I've got one here, which is a review specifically of the Gordon Hill episode. So if you haven't listened to that yet, maybe this will inspire you to. Uh, it's pretty long. It says, I'm a massive Manchester United fan, and I have just listened to the Gordon Hill episode of the podcast. I feel ashamed that I'd never heard of this absolute legend beforehand. Listening to his verve and enthusiasm towards all things football and his clear love of the game and the theatre of dreams put a huge smile on my face. I love how these podcasts can introduce a whole new generation to some Manchester United royal I'm off to Google everything Gordon Hill related and I'm praying for a YouTube best of somewhere. As always, thanks so much to Maisie, Simon and Helen. Thank you. Um, But Mm -hmm. also the entire crew behind the scenes, booking guests, sorting out the logistics, editing and producing these fantastic podcasts. Hey, that's you, Tasker. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, Tasker. He's not finished. He says, uh, all the best pod from Oldham. P.S. Once I sang Easy Lover out of my open window at Paul Scholes and was like, hiya, mate, as I parked up and strolled into the co-op only to realise several steps further on that I didn't know that guy. I only recognised him and I spun to see Skullsy chuckling away to his family in the car park. <laughs> That's a bit like you, Simon. <laughs> yeah, well, I no, just wanted sense. to ask, has, does Joe know the Simon story and your family? Yes, it's been mentioned. Well, my little brother uh, edits these for MUTV, yes. the, vi- the, the videos, and so, so he knows. Please tell me he's called you Simon just once. Yes, he calls me Simon all the time now because he thinks it's oh, funny. Oh, I love it. James Maxwell says, Hi guys, really enjoyed the podcast. They have kept me going through these past few months and through this pandemic. Really enjoyed them all, but my favourite has to be Brian Robson because he's the reason I started supporting Manchester United. Any chance of getting Chalky on or Sparky because they would have some amazing stories. I live in the belly of the beast. Liverpool and these podcasts help me block out their gloating we will be back no doubt we've had tough times before and I reckon Ollie is on the right track keep up the excellent work guys you're all doing a terrific job and that's from James Maxwell thank you very much indeed cheers James thank you for listening 
Beautiful. Um, right, I've got one last email from Gareth Cavana who says, Hi folks, loving the podcast. They've all been class. Would love to hear from Kevin Moran. One of the reasons why I support United. It was interesting to hear Maisie talk about him when they were at Blackburn together. No doubt he'd have a few stories, like the time he came home to Dublin from United injured um, for a week or two and ended up playing a few for the... <laughs> a few... Uh, right, what's G-A-A. G-A-A? Yeah, I don't know what that is. Gaelic football. Gaelic. I thought that, but I didn't know what to call it. Gaelic Association... Ball? No, because that would be, be G-A-B. G-A-B. Well, I, yeah, it was a joke. Task, can we keep this in? What's it stand for? Definitely don't keep this in. Sorry, you know the rules, mate. If you ask to take it out, it stays in. Well, I started this with the assumption that you would take it out when I asked. No. It stands for Gaelic Athletic Association. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Sam, get with it. Just G-A-A is fine, Sam. I'm just going to start the email again from No Doubt and hope that Tasker does the right thing. Task, keep it all in. No doubt he'd have a few stories, like the time he came home to Dublin from United injured for a week or two and ended up playing a few games of Gaelic football while he was here. Hard as nails. Thanks, Gar. Because it was Gareth. So it went with Gar. Thanks, Gareth. Maisie, Kevin Moran, good guest. Absolute legend. Can you get him on? Absolute legend. I shall, right now, Sam, Yeah. I'm going to text him. You'll there see you me go. do it. Okay, and that, guys, is the power of sending us messages. So Gareth Cavanagh has sent his message, and now Maisie's getting in touch with Kevin Moran. There you go. Mm -hmm. Send your messages in, tell us your ideas, and we'll get on with it. Um, If you've got any ideas, you know what to do. Send them to us. You can leave us reviews. You can email uh, Man United podcast. No, podcast. What the hell is the email? United podcast at manunited.co.uk. UTD podcast at manutd.co.uk. Or is it .com? Co.uk. Great. Um... Good luck stitching this together. Uh, all the information below is in the show notes. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever, it's really helpful to us if you could leave us a rating or a review, specifically if they're good. It's less helpful if they're negative. Um, have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks again for listening and stay safe in these weird, weird times. Hold up. 